0: guess this week is the voice of the Houston Texans, Mark Vandermeer uh, for interview 26 of the Blind Broadcaster podcast. If you have suggestions or people that you would like to have in the interview on the podcast please shoot me an email at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com Twitter you can find me at King underscore TSB, and if you want to find me on Facebook, the best way to do that is to use the email address I threw out at the top of the show. This is a Believe Podcast Network production. Joining me is the voice of the Houston Texans football team when a football team was awarded to Houston in 2000. And he's had the same color analyst for 20 seasons. Yes, the same color analyst. He's had many sideline reporters, but one analyst. And we'll get into all of that as we say hello and good morning and talk to the longtime voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer.
1: Luther, how's it going?
0: Good, how are you? Excellent. Great to be with you. Thank you for allowing me the time. First, were there any opportunities at the high school you went to? And when did you know sports broadcasting was something that you wanted to do?
1: I didn't really know that I wanted to be on the air until I was about 24 years old, 25 years old. Like, I was a late bloomer. And uh, I, I really got into sports late also. I got into sports in college as a spectator and just really enjoyed the NFL I studied advertising at Boston University. I had no inkling of doing anything <laughs> like this. Uh, and then when I was working for a while, for a few years, I was at advertising, sales, marketing, uh, worked with local retailers in Boston, had my own little business after a while. And uh, things were going okay. Things were going well, but I didn't love it. I liked it. <laughs> and I just had a burning desire to be on the air. And I, I bought an hour of time on a little tiny radio station. You know, now you just start a YouTube channel. But back then, it was you, you couldn't get on the air. So uh, mm-hmm. I bought an hour of time. I knew how the business worked, and it was a little station no one listened to. But I got on the air, and I just started that way. Started doing games, and uh, just climbed up step by step. And it just it took a long time. But you know, I loved every bit of it. I loved doing it back in high school days, you know, or doing high school football when I was in my twenties, because that's how I started. And I love doing this. It's all I don't want to say it's all the same. It's not, but it's all the same enjoyment. You love it. You love being part of it, being on the air. There's just nothing like it to me.
0: So with that small little station, Mm -hmm. what all did you like do? And then how did you kind of use your experience with the small station that allowed you to go step by step and get to where you are now? Like what things were you, you know, feeling your way around With the small stations, like okay, if I can do this, it maybe can catapult me to where I want to go, but it may take a few steps along the way.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, it's a great question because all right, so I I buy an hour of time, and I still have my other business on the side. Right, I sell advertising on the station or on my show. (coughs) I'll mm. do a couple of local advertisers so I could pay for the time that I was buying and make a few extra bucks. So but it wasn't really like high profit. But anyway, on the I didn't know what to do on the air. I mean, this this was back in the days, you know, I'm a, I'm a little more seasoned than uh, than many of our, our listeners, maybe. So this is back in the day, where not every city had a sports talk radio station, Boston did not have one yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no sports talk on Saturday morning. So I said, let's go on Saturday morning, you know, even though the station didn't reach that many people. It was a little tiny suburban station, not far from uh, Foxborough, where the Patriots play. Uh, you know, about two miles from the stadium. I drive right by the stadium to get to my uh, little station to do my show on Saturday morning. But oh, wow. I uh, I figured out how to get guests right away. I, I thought, all right, let's call um, people who have stuff going on in the community. And I'll say, I want to talk about the community stuff. And that's the hook to get them on the air to talk about other things as well. So I had Dave Cowens, the former Celtic. He was the curator of the New England sports museum at the time. I don't even know if that still exists. Uh, I remember I had a couple of Patriots on because I read they were doing stuff in the community and I called the Patriots PR department. So I kind of, I had some media knowledge and that helped me, Uh, but it's basics, you know, figure it out. There was a pro lacrosse team, in New England at the time, and I would have the general manager on every week because, like, I needed guests, you know, because Luther, like, you know, it wasn't like the phones would ring, you know. Sure. And no one was listening, so it wasn't like so throw like, out the number. And, you know, people um, <laughs> people in big markets, you throw out the number, and it's like you get calls, you know. In, like, five
0: um, seconds. You basically had, you basically had to scrap together what you could get.
1: Yeah. Otherwise I'm on the air just talking, you know, nobody wants to hear that, especially back then. So uh, I just got guests and and figured it out. So every week I'd have that guy. There was a pro soccer team in Boston at the time, the Boston, mm-hmm. I think it was the bolts, the Boston bolts. So I'd have their coach on every week. They were dying for anybody to talk to them. So, uh, so they would come on my show. So I had these regular guests and I would, I had a friend of mine who I called, um, uh, and he's still a dear friend of mine, but he was my Celtics correspondent and my <laughs> Red Sox correspondent. I just came up with that title. We just talk, just two guys talking sports. He was a pretty knowledgeable sports fan. So, you know, he was pretty good. So it came across as, as nice. And uh, and that, that's how we did it. it. It came across pretty decently. And but, but Luther, the, the thing that changed everything for me was one September night. They were saying, well, afternoon, they were saying, we need somebody to fill in on the game tonight, the high school game at Foxborough High School. And we need a color commentator. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, all right, I'll do it. I I didn't even think twice about it. Like, maybe this is something I'd really like to do. I was like, high school football. You know, I was a snob still. I was a sports fan snob. Like a lot of people want to get in this business, get kind of snobby. They kind of, you know, they want to, they want to cover the NFL right away. It's like, listen, Mm -hmm. cover high school, cover, cover that level. You'll learn a ton. You know, you get to talk to the coaches. You get to know what's good. They're dying to talk to you too. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people.
0: You just have to, you just have to know what you can and can't do. And to be honest with you, I'm still learning that, but Mm. with, you know, at the, at the high school level On who you can You know What you can and can't say Without being A jerk Yeah Because I, you, you want You want to be honest You want to be fair To both sides Right But you know Probably back in You know When you were doing High school color And then probably later on As you moved into the PXP chair Right You know You still have a responsibility To be yeah, fair well, Tell the story Yeah
1: without that's, being an idiot that's i mean that's all the way throughout you know uh you, all the way throughout my career i've had to uh, be very careful state fact you know you have mm-hmm. some opinions on things there's no question but you want to be fair to everybody and uh, that's a whole other subject, you know, especially when you're the voice of a team. How we'll, we'll get that into was. that because there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, There's there's a lot that goes into that. But uh, but anyway, so I, I did that. <laughs> I was doing color commentary. Uh, the station was what's called a day timer. I know you know what that is, but uh, maybe
0: yeah, know, only the stuff. broadcaster in the day.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's. Still a common thing. For some reason, the FCC hasn't enabled all of them to just go twenty-four hours, which they should. Because (laughs) what's the point now? You you know, back in the days, you had daytime stations to protect the big night signal of these huge blowtorch stations around the country, uh, like WBZ in Boston and. Uh, WLW in New Orleans is one, you know, these are clear channel stations, not the company clear channel, but uh, stations. And so daytimers Mm -hmm. were were powering down at night to protect those nighttime signals. And this comes back from the 40s, pre-television days, as you know, when radio was it, and you had to have radio stations that just reached the whole country because it was network broadcasting and you, that's how it had to go. That's how, that's how the word got out uh, on, on this medium. So anyway, um, I digress. So it's a daytime station. So we're doing the game into a tape recorder and it's going to air the next morning, which wasn't a bad thing for a local radio station because everyone who was at the game could listen to it the next day. And you can Mm. hear about like what little Johnny did in the football game uh, so, you know, we'd hit pause when we'd take a commercial break, unpause it, come back, and then the guy the next morning would run it off the board and, and run the game. So, anyway, that's how we did it. Now, I loved doing this game. This game, the first game I ever did, I was color commentator. I instantly knew, oh, I want to be the play-by-play guy. Like, <laughs> I had to be that guy. But, all right, I am where I am. Let's do the color Uh, doing a a game broadcast for me, even in that form, we were just sitting in the bleachers in a little area with a tape recorder. I fell in love with it so much that at halftime I said, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is it. I am going to do this and I don't care. Nothing's going to stop me. I will do whatever it takes. I will do this for a living. I need this bad, and I that <laughs> at that point, uh, the next week I made a deal with the radio station.
0: I knew your we plan A was already locked in, and you were like, "Okay, locked
1: in." And it doesn't happen to everybody, you know. I I always say, you know, I was fortunate that I had the lightning bolt moment where I found my passion, my bliss in in professional life. That that's what I was going to do. I mean, that's it's very rare. I know it is, but what what I realized is, and uh, I'm actually writing a book about this is that if you go in the general direction of your dreams, which is what I did, eventually you're going to find and you keep pushing, eventually you're going to find something that just opens up. And that's the thing. That's, that's your thing. And, um, especially when you're thirsting for it, I think if you're not looking for it, it might not find you, but if you're looking for it, I think it can find you, especially as long as you create some momentum toward it. And, uh, and I'm just like, I reverse engineered all this. And I said, that's, that's how I did it. That's how I found it. And once you find it, it's, I don't, it's you not You don't easy. let it go. Because yeah, you don't this, let it as
0: go. somebody, as the Bible, I think is said, if God puts something on your heart that you just can't let go of, pursue it because nobody yeah. can take it away from you. Yeah. That's a my, my goal is to be a trailblazer. Yeah. The first. I know all the PXP guys can see and everything, but I'm like, my goal is to be the first one that can't.
1: That's amazing. But Go for it. You know, that's well, You've always been. Uh, you've always been uh, very.
0: That's I mean, that's that's beside the point of the pod, but
1: yeah, yeah. I know, we I got know, into know. it, but you've been very. Uh, you've been a very uh, analytical listener and uh, you know observer and. Uh, and processor of information about um, NFL and all sports, I would imagine. But uh, that's all I've really talked to you about. But, I, uh, you know, like, you find well, that I mean, I listened
0: you to you in the NCAA So What's that? The first time I remember listening to you, it wasn't it wasn't a Texans game, I don't oh, think. yeah. Because the Texans weren't even around yet. Yeah, You were on yeah. Westwood 1, but we'll get yeah. into that as well. Because that's where I first heard you. I'm like, who is that guy? Because you were working with Dave Yavitt, if my math is right. On the I, no, I was working
1: with um, Penders first. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I worked with him. I worked with a guy named Glenn Consor. That's who uh, it was. Consor. Yeah, and he's uh, he's with the Wizards still. Mm-hmm. So he does their color commentary.
0: Yeah, with Dave Johnson.
1: Uh, and- yeah, yeah, <laughs> Dave Johnson. So um, yeah, I mean that 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 was a fun time. That was a fun time. That's a different kind of broadcasting for sure. Doing the tournament. so.
0: When you had your lightning when you had your Eureka lightning bolt moment mm-hmm. doing the color. Yeah. You said you had made it you made a deal with the station since it was a daytimer. So yeah, you, I made it. How did how did you guys like work the game broadcast out to where you were doing a game and then maybe he was doing one? Or did it get to the point of where they gave you basically the whole schedule
1: no they didn't they didn't because the guy doing the play by play was uh he you know he wanted to do it i mean that that's the other thing (laughs) that was my first encounter with politics in this business i mean i always say being a play by play being a play by play announcer it's like a political position you're always running for reelection, and 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 i still adhere to that to that to this day that you know this is a a very privileged kind of thing, and uh, and I've earned it. But you got to stay there. You got to earn it all the time. You can't if you, the moment you think like oh, I got this, and you know people say to me, "Oh, Mark, you're set for life. You're going to have this gig with the Texans for," well, you know I hope to, uh, but believe me, I don't just sit around and just show up. You know I work with the team on a variety of things, and I I want I want to be here forever. And uh, and I, I made that decision not that much longer after, you know, to be the voice of a team, not much longer after I uh, I got into this thing. Because, all right, so at that little station, there was a guy doing the, the games, and right. he was not going to be knocked off the perch. Um, he actually had um, – I forget what it was, but he walked with a cane, and he was kind of – he had a limp. And, and he – and this is relevant because there was one game where he had to go to the restroom at the half – and it was a long walk. And he said, you stay here. And if I can't make it back for the third quarter, you know, you just do some play-by-play and then I'll take over. Well, I've never rooted so much for somebody to take their time. And uh, <laughs> and he was taking his time getting back. Uh, well, he, he, not on purpose, but it just took a long time. I felt bad for the guy, but at the same time, like, hey, the show must go on and I'm doing the play-by-play in the third quarter. And I just – I said, this is, I got to do this. Like, what do I have to do? So when we got to the postseason that year, New England doesn't do high school playoffs like a lot of uh, other places. They have what's called Super Bowls. At, at least they did at the time. They had five divisions. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do one of those Super Bowls. And I said, let me have one of those games. They let me have one of those games. And I, that was the first play-by-play I ever did. It was at actually at a, a place where I went to school, Boston University, Nickerson Field. Uh, they played it there. They played the game there. Um, I'll never forget it. I, I still have the tape. Um, I wasn't very good I I didn't know how to prepare I I had no idea how to prepare for a game I just kind of showed up grabbed the rosters and and went and I just read a couple of things in the paper but it was like very light still you know I got some things out there and did the game and and learned a lot that day and then I did a couple of basketball games and I I was very clear to them and because this this football play-by-play guy didn't do basketball so I did a few basketball games for them and I just started looking for a job I just started looking for I need to do this full-time I I can't do it for this station. They were letting me, as long as I sold advertising for them, they'd let me do as much as I want. But mm-hmm. I needed a job. I needed to really soak myself in. I, I was smart enough to know I wasn't good enough. Right. And, uh, and I needed reps. Like anything else, like you need reps, reps. What you're doing right now, you get a lot of reps. You're going to do a lot of podcasts, a lot of broadcasts, whatever. Yep, exactly. Um, even in my first full-time radio gig, I still thought I wasn't getting on the air enough. So I would read aloud. And that's another big key is to read aloud every night. Uh, that whole thing about just the motor skill of speaking is very important to keep going. It's, it's like shooting jump shots. If you're Michael Jordan, you know, you just got to continue to do that. And um, I've always kind of stuck to that. And I still, I read aloud to my seven-year-old at night and I'm reading, I'm pronouncing everything very accurately. Uh, so I, it helps me. It still does because I have a natural, lazy, kind of natural, lazy kind of delivery that I have to fight against. That I've known that from the beginning as well. Because the first people I encountered in broadcasting, when I I, worked, I got my first full-time job in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, and you might think, all right, that's market number eight thousand or whatever. But a um, couple of the people there were really good, and that's and I learned that was the first time I learned. Oh, you could have good broadcasters anywhere. The market size doesn't matter. I mean, they're good. They just don't leave because maybe they. Maybe they lack the ambition. I hate to say lack. They just don't want to leave. They have family. They like working in broadcasting. The money's fine for them. They don't have big needs or big sure. whatever. It's a different kind of thing. They're just really good broadcasters. Okay. Uh, I learned a ton. And, and I learned that I'm not a natural at this. Like some people are, uh, but I wasn't one. So I had to fight that all the time and, and really work hard to to get to be decent on the air. and um, And it was a real struggle. I mean, it's a... I still, my boss, when I do uh, evaluations with the president of the Texans, he's like, "Well, uh, what, what would you like to see uh, better?" You know, and I give him the stuff out of my department because now I'm a manager. But um, <laughs> when I say I need to get better on the air, he's like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, I need to get I need to get better on the air. I, I'm going to work hard to do that. Like, I always keep my eye on that." So, sorry to ramble, but that's oh no,
0: on my mind. That's perfect because. I still, you know, deal with the same thing. I mean, I want to get better at this. I want to get better at my broadcast. I want to make sure I want to get as many reps as I possibly can. So I'm even still improving on my craft, trying to use this podcast setting and whatever broadcast I do as the two vehicles where I can keep improving and getting repetitions because you have to get reps. I mean, that's the big T in this thing. You can't get reps. How do you expect to get better?
1: That's it. But see here, here's the thing. When I talk to people today, when I talk Mm -hmm. to young people trying to get into the business or anybody trying to get into the business, (coughs) it's different today and it's easier and it's harder. The easier thing is I can put up a YouTube channel and I'm on the air, right? I've Mm -hmm. got my, I'm on the air. Like if I was starting out today it probably would have gone very different for me. And maybe I, maybe it wouldn't have worked out because, you know, you had to find an on-air job back then. Now, I can sell advertising on YouTube. I can create my own channel. I can make money doing that. That mm-hmm. might have been enough for me financially to the point where I might not have moved up to an NFL level. You never know. Uh, but back then, like, I'm in Clearfield, Pennsylvania, earning 200 what was it, $225 a week, okay? And this is not mm-hmm. that long ago. This is 1990. Uh, but Clearfield, my apartment, my rent was two sixty, and it was a nice place. It was like but you one still had to work, part. though,
0: no matter if you were in Clearwater or if you were in Massachusetts or yeah. wherever you were going to move to after that. Everything, mm-hmm. that, every step along the way, you still had to prepare. You still had to work. You still had to figure out, you know, what your strengths were and what your weaknesses were and still had to improve on your weaknesses so they could become strengths. So anywhere yeah. that you were going to go, you still had – to work on your craft.
1: I mean, there was no right. way around it. No way. No way. Had to do it. Had to, um, continue to get better and, and Clearfield. I'll, I'll give you another one about Clearfield. So this is, you know, <clears throat> when I was looking for a job when I was at that little station in Boston yeah. and, uh, and kind of like buying my way onto that station, mm-hmm. uh, and they had no job for me and, and that kind of money wouldn't have, wouldn't have supported me in Boston anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was looking, I looked way too high. I was like WFAN in New York, uh, WABC in New York. Uh, you know, like, I didn't know what to do. So I'm sending <laughs> tapes out and stuff, uh, and and all. And I put an ad in Radio and Records magazine. Back in the day, that was the magazine. Oh history. man,
0: and you they, Radio um, and Records. Radio Cause and Records. Because I know nowadays they have like what is it? The broadcast four one one or something like that. Now there's
1: all access online is another big one. Um, But you know, there's a lot of them where
0: you just look online and like, boom, it's like,
1: oh, now you just Google broadcast jobs and it's like, you know, back then you just like, where are the jobs? So I would look through the classifieds, but that doesn't really do it. So I put my own ad in, you know, dynamic broadcaster seeks opportunity. You know, I will, I oversold it, (laughs) and uh, and I got. Virtually nothing back. I got Clearfield. They called, uh, and I was like, "Where the?" Heck? I literally got out my atlas. It's uh, it's a little bit west of State College and and east of Pittsburgh by a couple hours. In the middle of no, in the middle of the mountains, but it's a great place. I learned a lot because I was an East Coast snob, total East Coast <laughs> snob. Like you see the New Yorker, like the New Yorker magazine, uh. uh uh, New York's uh, New Yorker's perception of the United States—you know, it's all Manhattan and a tiny little strip of Hudson. Yeah, River ba- basically,
0: a- basically everything that is not East Coast time,
1: yeah, they could care less. Right. It's like L.A., Chicago, New York, and there's nothing else in the country. Exactly. So that's that's it. So uh, you know, that's <laughs> uh, that's that was that's my just, view. That, of the world. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's still it's still the same way. I mean, if it's, it's not you way. know, it's not Chicago, New York, L.A. Mm-hmm. Who cares?
1: Right. Right. And then I learned, like, I I literally was thinking, well, they have products that I use every day in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Do they sell Crest toothpaste in the store? Like, I didn't know anything. So I drove out there and talked to them. And, uh, and they offered me the job and, uh, and my demo tape, by the way, cause they wanted me to be a DJ midday for oldies. And I was like, Oh boy. So I made a fake DJ demo tape. I said, yeah, I've done some, uh, I spent some records at the station. You know, I embellished, honestly. Um, and, and believe me, I get caught for it. Uh, so I embellished that I, I, I did news. I never did news. I did news on the demo. Um, so I knew how to make a good demo. I had a four track recorder cause I'm a musician. So I had some recording equipment and I just, I just did a hundred takes till I had a freaking phenomenal demo. Mm-hmm. And so I go out there, I get the job, but I'm like, I don't know about this. I don't know. Clearfield. It, I, was oh. It was the end. of It was like the the land that time forgot to me. I mean, seriously, they they still like cruising on Friday nights, like American Graffiti, you know, around the around the, <laughs> the town square and jacked up Novas. And I mean, it, it just uh, that was my impression of it, anyway. From car, the outside, car of the shows games. was car shows in mean, cars. It's just uh, yeah, but that's what they were driving, you know. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so uh, so I go back to Boston. I'm in Boston, you know. I'm a young urban professional in Boston. And uh, what t- it came time to tell them if I wanted it or not, I, I literally couldn't decide. I was so indecisive. I said, no, if, "If I have to decide, I guess it's no." And then my brother called me up that night. He goes, "What'd you decide about that job?" And I said, "Nah, I didn't, I didn't take it." He goes, "How you feeling?" I said, "Not good, not good." He <laughs> said, "Well, call him tomorrow and tell and take it." I was like, "I, I can't do this." I, but then I knew, I knew at that moment though that. I had to do it. I had to take that leap. Like I put my hat in the ring. And if I really want to do this, I have to go out to Clearfield, Pennsylvania. It's the only job offer I had. Mm -hmm. So let's go. So I told him the next day I'm going. And it was the start of a great adventure. I met the best people there. It it was, it was really, it's not that far away. It's only a seven hour drive from Boston, but it is mentally, especially back then it was a long distance. This is pre anything pre-internet feels so different, you know, and and I go out there and I, I joined the community theater pretty quickly about a month in, I, cause I want to meet people. I figured that's a good way to meet people. I did a, a community theater play. I did the, the job at the radio station. I was working my butt off. I was so stressed out, trying to be good on the air. Every mistake I made felt like I just, you know, committed some sort of FCC atrocity, um, <laughs> you know, the, the station. now, and my boss goes, my boss says to me, yeah, you're doing the play by play of the third quarter of the high school football games. I said, what? He said, yeah, I do the play-by-play. You're going to do color, and you're going to get to do the third quarter. This is after I got there. So it was a total bait and switch. And I was livid, but I didn't quit, because what am I going to do? All right, I'll do the third quarter. Well, it turns out this guy, the general manager, his name is Carl Falvo, he he was a good play-by-play announcer. And um, he's no longer with us, but he was a good play-by-play announcer. And he loved Gil Santos. He did the Patriots. <laughs> oh, I and,
0: loved missing Gil Santos, especially when yeah, I finally Santos, pass. My he finally got a
1: pass. He was so good. And, you know, back in those days, he did, or before that, um, but not too long before that, he did Penn State football. And that's how this guy used to listen to him because they carry Penn State football. They were about, you know, 45 minutes an hour away. So mm-hmm. he loved Gil Santos and he did the game a la Gil Santos. And I... I learned so much from Carl, just just being in the booth with him, watching him do f- high school football play-by-play. Now, he's a little old school, like, on the far side of the playing field. But, but you know, I love that kind of old school. Uh, he said, you want a big, punchy, staccato-type delivery. That's what he used to say. And he used to stand next to me while I was doing that third quarter play-by-play, like, pick it up, pick it up, winding his arm, like, pick up the pace, you know, the energy, like, that's in my face while I'm talking. I mean, the guy was so <laughs> tough on me. But I got it. He's like one of those coaches that you don't like when you're with, when you're playing for him. But afterwards, exactly. you're like, that guy was the best thing that ever happened to me because he made me better, and mm-hmm. I got good fast. And then he let me do the high school uh, basketball games. I could do those solo. So uh, and and I got a job in State College, Pennsylvania, like by that February, which was so I wasn't even there a full year, which mm-hmm. he didn't like. But he came to me like when when I gave notice, he was not happy because he put a lot, you know, they put a lot into me, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he knew that I had to go. He knew that, you know, I, my, you know, I was not going to end up there and that, that I needed to, uh, to sort of spread my wings. The other thing that happened there though, was the demo tape. Okay. I promise this, I got to pay this off. The demo tape I made (laughs) that, uh, that I embellished on a tad. So I'm spinning records. Loser. I have no idea. 45s, 45 RPM. Like, yeah, I've heard a lot of guys to, say
0: that they they you know.
1: I mean, you can probably
0: Google this stuff up because I mean I've heard a lot of the you know broadcasters that I've either heard interviews or mm-hmm. who I've talked to. Yeah, say if they remember at some point in time you you know spinning the forty-five RPMs. Oh yeah, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of a lot of kids today. I can promise you. They don't even know what an RPM is.
1: No, they, I they remember no the I remember
0: the record player. I remember, you know, the old school paper map.
1: So stacks of wax, right? I mean, exactly. This is, we we had stacks of forty fives, and this is in the day where, all right, so you carry network. You're a network news affiliate of ABC. This tiny little station in Pennsylvania. So at the top of the hour, that ABC news is going to fire. And you have to fire an ID uh, station identification. So this is WCPA nine hundred AM Clearfield, or WCPA at ten fifty nine. you got to hit it at ten fifty nine fifty six. It's a four second ID because at eleven that news is going to fire, mm-hmm. and, and you're going to pot it up, and it's going to be there. So at at uh, what would what, what we say ten fifty nine? So at ten fifty nine, you're looking at those 45s Like I need. I need nine minutes and 56 seconds of song. So you throw on a 330, then you throw on another three, and then you have to do the math in your head and you're looking at the times. What's the final
0: song that you can get in under
1: two minutes? And is it a fade ending or a cold ending? And how's it going to end? Like, so that kind of stuff baffled me. And, and, it would baffle a lot of uh, jockeys today because they just brought everything off automation. They don't have to think, right? Exactly. Back then, it was all manual. You had to think constantly, and you had to pull all your commercials. So the longest break you got during a commercial... Was sixty seconds, you know, during a commercial break. The longest break you got during the hour was whatever longest song you could find. That's why the five minute forty seven second, the wreck of Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot, was a real popular song to play if you were an oldie station because, like, I'm going to stick this thing on now. I can go to the bathroom, right? I mean, it just yep. that's how life worked. And um, so, one week into it, they pulled me in uh-oh into the office and they play me my demo they say this is what we had in mind <laughs> and i was like uh am i going approached approach that level of excellence yet so uh and they were kind of, they were kind of snickering about it they weren't gonna fire me they knew that i you know i kind of took some liberties with that demo but they also knew that i had some potential so they worked with me and i i got good i got good um I mean, I wouldn't call it good, I guess, back then. But I look back, I was like, "Yeah, I was an okay DJ. I did a nice job." And this was like, he wanted old school delivery. He wanted to talk up to every post, talk up to every vocal. Uh, you know, c- come out of it, uh, temperature and time every time. I mean, just all this stuff. And if you didn't do that, the guy was just killing you. So anyway, um, that was kind like of
0: like the basic fundamentals of when we, when you know, when we talk about the do's and the don'ts of broadcasting what do the fans want? Time, score, quarter,
1: where's the ball? Yeah. That was really important back then because no one had a smartphone, you know, and <laughs> uh, and no one knew what the weather was except exactly. when you got the paper. So yep. the weather was just enormous. And it's still, you know, stations still function like this. We'll, we'll do traffic and weather together at the, you know, like they still do that because every, every,
0: every 10 minutes on the fives or every 10 right. minutes on the
1: eight. Nobody needs it anymore. You just go to your smartphone, and you know, the traffic, but, but, they still can sell the advertising on those uh, breaks, so they're still going to do it. That's why radio is just like – it's radio's having some issues right now. But it will always be here in some form, but it always – Well, yeah, but – Podcasts has just exploded. It's exactly. just audio listening. It's more like it was in the old days. When I saw these podcasts coming into play like Serial, um, and I know friends who listen to Crime Junkie and things like that – I was, same I here this is just old time radio brought back and it's fantastic exactly i, I mean I, podcast. I listen to
0: podcasts almost all the time i mean yeah if i'm not listening to um pro football talk
1: it's it's an on-demand world right And, yeah, yeah. and you're getting what you want that's why radio has to be very careful but it what what blows me away mm-hmm. is that music stations still do so well we have so many streaming services of course yet there are so many people who don't do that they'll just listen to the radio because I still think that uh, and I know we're all over the place here I still think that a radio commercial people would never admit this in a survey but subconsciously psychologically there's something comforting about a message of information in your community even if it's about a store and then you have somebody talking to you like hey everybody it's whatever station this is and that was you know Lady Gaga and we'll be back and you know, they're playing some commercials and it's st- stores, you know, places, you know, Joe car dealership. Like, there's still a comfort level to that and uh, and you just feel this sort of community through it. I'm, uh, you know, it's hard to... I
0: enjoy it. my favorite commercials but mm-hmm. there just gets to a point where you just have circuitry overload and we'll definitely get into that when it gets to, you know, broadcasting and stuff when we get to the major levels but let's back up to your before you went to state college, with your boss being on your tail as your coach, mm -hmm. like, when did you feel like you had an idea that you're thinking, okay, this guy's on me for a reason, but it's the best thing that could happen because, you know, it's going to pay dividends for you down the road. And how much did you use prep or did your prep work for doing play-by-play at that station change for when you were doing the color
1: analyst at at your – Oh yeah, it's First a great, great point. Because I saw how he prepared. He made <laughs> boards, you know. He made these, uh, these boards that these guys use, and mm-hmm. uh, and I, I started <clears throat> making some boards when I was doing play by play. Because even, if, you know, even if you're doing the third quarter or one drive, you have to do the same amount of prep as you would a whole game. You know, right. that's that's the thing. Uh, so I'm doing the prep, and I realized something at that job, and I still stick to it today. Mm-hmm. I don't make boards. I don't make boards. All I do because I figured out early on, like, why am I having trouble with this board? Because I was, I would see like number fifty make it a tackle, and I'd go. And after a while, you know, like fifty is Johnny Smith making a tackle, like. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But like, let's say it's let's say it's a number or a, or a player that didn't get a lot of action or you know earlier on in the game. Or they're in there, for, or
0: they're in there for a particular reason because the yeah.
1: players, like, either and I'm hurt. looking at it on my chart on my board, and it's like underneath 50 on the depth chart and I can't find where 46 is and and then I realize, well wait a minute why am I looking at this board I I need the numerical roster 46 is after 45 always has been so if like if I'm looking at the field and I'm like uh, in in the course of and the tackle is made at the 20 yard line as I'm saying that I can be looking at Thirty six number 36 is after 35 and I got this guy's name. It's Billy Johnson or whatever. And I got it after that. So the numerical roster is the big help when you need to locate a name, not a board that has numbers all over the place because after you name the starters or whatever, why do you need the depth chart? So just name your starters off another sheet or like whatever they provide you. In, in college and, and pro, you're going to get provided this stuff. In high mm-hmm. school, you have to make it. So uh, there's that. But I realized then... I don't need a board. What I need to do is memorize the information. Memorize as many numbers as I can of guys who play and memorize as many facts and figures. Spend my prep time doing that. The board takes you, a good board takes you two, three hours to do. Mm -hmm. Spend that two or three hours memorizing and now you have a completely different broadcast experience. Now you have one where you're not looking down. I don't really have to look at that numerical roster much of the time unless I get a little stuck, which is fine. You just look, right? And then I have another Mm -hmm. sheet with a kind of, Points I need to make throughout the game like oh when they're when, uh, halftime leads like they've led at the half every game this season it's just general bullets of things that are important mm-hmm. on radio you don't have a lot of time to tell stories about you no, you gotta know the big don't. stories you don't but you, you have like 10 seconds to get a story in like literally
0: um, maybe color eight commentators
1: tops. In. yeah it's crazy especially as a play-by-play guy because you want the color commentator to tell uh, stories and 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 you know you want you want to bring him out of his uh, of his shell, so to speak. So I learned back then I'm not making boards. It was liberating. It was liberating. I did such a <laughs> much better job not making a board. Basketball's you know basketball's different. I think we're we're all along those uh, lines because in basketball I think all the guys who make boards it's a numerical roster. Um, so, but you know you're only dealing with 15 guys in basketball. You yep. know, and like maybe 10 who play, mm-hmm. if that, on some teams. Uh, in football, it's an enormous amount of people, especially in college. It's ridiculous how many people. Now, in mm-hmm. high school, we get into trouble a lot with rosters and the numbers aren't right. And oh my God. And, gosh, and the
0: ever dreaded double numbers when you have two players oh, with the same number. Don't give me started. That happens a lot in college. <laughs>
1: that happens a lot. That happens in NFL preseason, you know, uh, where you have double numbers. So, uh, it, it does happen and you, and you deal with it. But I learned a lot about prep right then with him and how to make, how to make, uh, you know, what, what I my game materials, my, my numerical roster, anything I need on the side. Um, and I would go into uh, state college and drive in and go to Penn state <laughs> basketball games and listen to Steve Jones. Uh, who's still there? And I just talked to Steve a couple of weeks ago. But I would sit at, on press row, which was high up in Rec Hall, where they played basketball at the time, mm-hmm. with a Walkman, listening to Steve call the game while I'm watching the game. And that's how I learned how to call basketball, uh, just by listening to Steve Jones. I
0: think he's got the same coloring, unless I think, um, oh, who is that guy, Dick? Um, oh, that, for, uh, for for Bass, basketball, I'm not sure. I can't. I can't sure. remember if it's Girardi or something like that. I can't remember. I gotta,
1: I gotta look that up. What
0: the guy's name is because I know he's had the same color in he, him for a long time. He might have done it
1: alone sometimes back then because they were still in the Atlantic Ten when yeah. I was there. Can you imagine that? Penn State and the Atlantic Ten, but it was great. Temple, Penn State, St. Joe's. The tournament was at the Palestra. Oh, and um, they still had.
0: They still played the Big Five, except and you they don't still see... played the
1: Big Five in Philly. I mean, like the, to me, uh, I know this is off topic, but to me though regionalism is the flavor of sports. And I, I think agree that too many conferences miss out on that right now. Uh, You uh-huh. know, here in Texas, we have the Aggies don't play the Longhorns. It's stupid. They got to play. Um <laughs> And I think the NFL also has to get with it where like when they get to 17 games, you got to have a regional game cross conference every year. I mean, we should play Houston the Cowboys Dallas, every I year. I mean, yeah. and, you know,
0: because what was it when y'all came in the league in 2000, what was the first preseason game? What was the first regular season game ever? Dallas. You and the Cowboys.
1: Yeah, and, and I believe it was that
0: either at your place or theirs. Was at our
1: place. Was at our yeah. place, and it was and uh, we actually scrimmaged with them five weeks before that and got drilled, and and they thought they were going to have an easy time of it, and apparently didn't, as we won that first game nineteen to ten. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. regionalism is key, so. Um, but I learned a lot from the Penn State guys. I mean, Steve didn't do football back then. It was a guy named Bill Zimfer who took over for Gil Santos. But Bill was excellent play-by-play announcer. And then there was and, another
0: guy that they had who was on for a long time, Fran somebody. Fran Fisher.
1: Fran yeah, Fisher did Fran, it before Zimper and then after Zimfer,
0: Yeah, because I, I remember finding a little bit of his stuff on YouTube. And I'm like, who is – I'm like, yeah. Fran Fisher? I'm like,
1: wow. yeah. And Fran was one of those guys that wasn't a technician necessarily, but he was, uh, you know, he was the local guy. And but I'll he had the what, basics. Yeah, he did. And I'm not like I'm not a huge Penn State fan necessarily, but you know, being there, you can't help but kind of let some of that Nittany Lion blue and white get in your mm. veins because you know that place on Saturdays was ridiculous. I mean, it was it was so weird being in the middle of the mountains in Pennsylvania even state college is not that big a town, but on Saturdays you'd get 90,000. Now you get over a hundred, but back then it was like 90,000 people. And it was insane. It was just the (laughs) magic of college football. I, you know, I used to go to the paternal press conferences while I was in Clearfield. Sometimes I'd go and, um, and that was my first taste of that. Cause in Boston, i would never covered anything like that. I never went to press conferences and covered sports. And that's what I was getting back to. Like, being Mm -hmm. covering the high schools, starting off small, getting to know how things work. Uh, the Penn state athletic, when I went to state college, I was doing, so this is the next job. I'm doing my station. (sighs) I was blessed. My general manager there was crazy. He wanted us to do every game possible. So there were five high schools. We tried to do every game. Like I was Mm -hmm. Luther, I was doing five games a week. I'm not exaggerating and maybe more sometimes. Uh, and covering stuff on the weekends gymnastics would draw six thousand at penn state uh, wow. wrestling through thousands wrestling and i didn't do that on the radio but we had guys who did because i was like i can't learn this i'm not going to do this right i did learn how to do volleyball they were excellent at women's volleyball and men's volleyball and i was like I, it was the spring when i got there and i i was doing men's volleyball oh my mm. gosh i'm doing penn state men's volleyball um he my general manager just said one day he's like uh we got volleyball tonight and I can't do it. he would he was doing it before I got there he said I can't do it you got to do it I said I don't know anything like nothing about volleyball I know you're bouncing them all over in net. I really it was embarrassing I didn't know anything. you didn't know
0: anything about set pieces serves, nothing, you know,
1: set points. they had a guy there named Tom Tate who I think was a U.S. Olympic coach or one of them or something previously and he he was retired now and kind of a professor emeritus type person. And mm-hmm. and he was a commentator. So he's like, call Tom. So I called Tom. I said, listen, I'm doing the game with you tonight. I, he's like, it's not a game. It's a match. I'm like, okay, first thing I got to learn. And he said, I, I literally, I said, I need to have everything you've always wanted to know about volleyball, but we're afraid to ask. He's like, okay, go. I said six to a side. He's like, Yes, <laughs> I mean that's how it started. Yeah, you
0: had to get the basics first because, yes. like, see now, cause see now you can just Google it, and you like yeah now you
1: can Google it. You watch have a YouTube ID. video. You do you know back then it's like I, back
0: then early 90s, the, inter- like, the internet wasn't even they didn't have the internet in our so lexicon
1: like, yet. Yeah, it's like. I don't. Where do I get a videotape of people playing volleyball? Like now, you just go to YouTube and like watch it and try to practice a little bit. You know, you can do some things. Now, I mean, then nothing. So um, I did the first match, and then I was like, and I was like, man, these guys are pretty good. He's like, yeah, you did pretty well tonight for a stranger. And I said, um, I said, well, what's the postseason like? He said, well, the final four is in Hawaii. I said, oh, (laughs) so. I uh, I became the voice of Penn State men's volleyball that year. We went to Hawaii for the Final Four. It was great. And uh, you want
0: to talk about now? You want to talk about about paradise? Come on, dude. Going to the Final Four in Hawaii.
1: I learned a ton. I learned a ton, and um, I still talk to some of those guys who were a part of that team. And I did some women's too, Penn State women's volleyball. But you know, I was just. Again, I was a little bit of a snob. I wanted to do the men's sports, but I was the voice. Well, they were actually – we had two flagship stations for Penn State women's basketball, and I was one of the voices of Penn State women's basketball. Now, okay. The lesser of the two, but at least I got to do it, and that was a great break for me. because This
0: brings uh, the question. Yeah. Did you get the chance to chat with the women's basketball coach, Jordan Coutinos at that time?
1: Uh, back, back then, it was reading Portland. Oh, okay. The women's team. Yeah. And she, uh, she's no longer with us. Mm She's, I've been around a long time, but all these people are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Renee Portland was um, a great coach. They were number one in the country the year I got there. Right. They, um, at the time, they hadn't been to a final four. Their, their big thing was great regular season. Didn't do well in the postseason, (laughs) especially when they got in front of teams like Texas or whoever was good, Tennessee. Right. Uh, You know, these were tough teams for them to beat. Uh, in the postseason, I, I mm. one year we were there. I think we lost a James Madison or something uh, mm. in the playoffs at home. Uh, anyway, but but it was a great game for me to do. They were they had a lot of fans. I went to Morgantown, West Virginia, McGonagall Hall in Philadelphia. I went to all these places to do games, and it was really great for me to be part of a big time, you know, at that level experience. Be sort of the voice of the team, but not have all the pressure. Learn a lot. I had a great color commentator, Mary Jo Haberbeck, who. Uh, worked for the university and, and the university really liked me. Like I would have a shot to, I would have had a shot to really rise up there because I covered every sport there, field hockey. I didn't do play by play for field hockey. I did once for the post season, but I, I covered all these sports, would interview everybody. I had 10 minute sports casts on our news talk station. I'd put sound bites in from all the coaches. Um, I got a great letter of recommendation for my next job from that university and it was just, uh, I I really enjoyed my time. there. It wasn't even a a full two years because then I got the central Michigan university job. uh, And and that's what I really want. I wanted to be the voice of the men's team you know and and I wasn't going to do that at Penn State I mean the guys had the names in the backs of the chairs practically and Steve Jones was mm-hmm. still there for crying out loud like it was never going to happen for me there so right. I knew I had to go make my own way somewhere else but I loved it there I I still I still think so highly of that place and you know when we got Bill O'Brien from there we had a lot to talk about because I had been there years before he was but <laughs> uh it's just an enchanted place it really is and I know they had their you know horrible moments there the early Mm -hmm. but uh but it's still a tremendous place
0: and when you got the central michigan job this begs the Mm -hmm. question was don shido who just passed away recently was yeah
1: boy you know your stuff well because i
0: because i because i was gonna ask that because Mm -hmm. i wasn't sure if he was there or if you he He was there but i from michigan
1: yeah but he, I I want to say he was there, Luther, but I didn't know him. Like, if he was there, he was at the university, and he wasn't part of it yet. Because right. uh, it was a guy named Ed Phelps doing the play-by-play, and he would split the football play-by-play duties with Mike Carey, another guy who owned a local radio station there. And these guys were entrenched. But the rights belonged to... Uh, a a new player, W-U-P-S. And um, I worked for a weird call letter station. And no, we're not talking about,
0: and we're not talking about the United States Postal Service.
1: Yeah, right, right. So this station was owned by Melling Tool Company. They owned uh, Melling Racing, Harry Melling. Right. And, uh, and, and, the, my general manager there, John Salav, he owned the rights. They had the broadcast for a year, but they wanted a play-by-play guy who could sell advertising. So here's where advertising comes. I interview for that job and I'd sold advertising before. I was like, mm-hmm. do you do? and the general manager like knew that because it's in my resume, just as a thing. He said, I want you to sell advertising and, and do uh, do broadcasting for us. And I was like, I really didn't want to sell advertising because I've been paid for being on the air for the first couple of years of my like full-time broadcasting career. Sure, he said, "Listen, this is how you're gonna rise up. This is how you're gonna climb." He's like, you know, if Jack, even Jack Buck goes to appointments to you know visit Anheuser Bush. All right, you know, maybe got, Jack got to get that, the got to get the sponsors. But Jack's not making phone calls hitting the streets. Okay, uh, but but I I understood it and I thought about it. I was like, all right, I bit the bullet and I'm like, I'll sell advertising and do this and. It's a good thing I did because it really enabled me to get my next job, the UMass job as well. Um, but I, I went to Central Michigan. And here's another thing. I was doing color commentary for football. I wasn't doing the play-by-play. I was doing the play-by-play for men's basketball. But I loved basketball. At the time, Luther, I was like, I'm going to the NBA. Sure. I wanted to be in the NBA more than anything. I wanted to be a, as high-level basketball announcer as I could be. I loved sure. hoops. And I still love hoops. Um, so I figured I'm the voice of the basketball team. That's great. I'll do color commentary for football. Maybe I get to take over a play by play for some, at some point. Um, so I did all that and I sold advertising and it it worked very well for a while. Um, you know, Mount Pleasant, Michigan is a different kind of town, but like being in, in the middle of quote, middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, I already learned that it's not the middle of nowhere. There are great people everywhere. You know, I had a girlfriend. It was a great place to be. So I moved to Michigan. Let's go there, like in the mm-hmm. middle of nowhere in Michigan, and um, and I was happy because I I knew that I would find great people, uh, great people are everywhere. And that you learn of a lot. Thing. I'd learn a ton, and and all that happened. All that happened. Now I was trying to find a way out <laughs> or way <laughs> up uh, from year number two there. Uh, right. But you know, I honestly, if I had ended up staying, I, I still have some. Dear, uh, uh, one of the best friends I've ever had in my life, Stan Shingles, is still at Central Michigan. If I had been there my whole life, I would have been happy. I would have been happy. Fine. Um, You know, but I like the weather here in Texas better, baby. No question. Uh, uh, But, you know, like, I still had this burning desire to do more. I wasn't making any money still. I was making very little money. Um, I got, you know. Peanuts. Yeah, it's just – but I didn't – I don't want to say I didn't care. Obviously, I cared. But I was happy. I was working. It was a great time. I don't look back on that with any kind of downside whatsoever. It was It was tremendous. I formed relationships that are lasted a lifetime. I still feel myself as an honorary Chippewa of sorts. Um, so that – and that, that was a great time. And, and we won the MAC. So I, the last year I was there, I kind of had a semi-hostile takeover of the play-by-play position in football. My <laughs> boss wanted me to do it. And he knew I wanted it, and he wanted me to do it, and I did it, and we won the championship. So I happened to be on the mic when we won the MAC. And back now, then, winning the MAC was a big deal. Question. Mm-hmm.
0: Did they play the MAC inside the Pontiac Silverdome
1: before no, for no. a field? No, No. Uh, back then, there was no championship game. Really? We, we played Bowling Green for the title in 94 at Bowling Green. And it was a de facto oh, championship because we were both the best teams in the league. And the winner of that game was going to win the league. So it just worked out that way. Mm-hmm. And the only one team went to a bowl. This, this is 94. And it was the Las Vegas Bowl. So we won that game. We were going to Las Vegas Bowl. It felt like the Rose Bowl, you know. Right. And, uh, and and my sales came into play. I traded all these rooms at the Riviera. Uh, they had just shot Casino there. It was pretty cool. Uh and I traded all this stuff. Rental cars, rooms, meals, you know, we had a great trip, a lot of fans out there because they hadn't gone to a well, they, I think they went to a bowl a few years before, but going to a bowl. It had been a while a since they went deal. there. Yeah, now it feels like everybody goes to a bowl. But back yeah, then, really like, only one team in the league got to go to a bowl game. Like now you have four or five Mac teams going to bowls. Yeah. So it was uh it was a thrill and um you know the UMass story is is You know, I I knew about UMass getting good, and I was looking everywhere in the country. I sent tapes to every single NBA team, every single one. And I got rejected by all of them. And it was just, you know, they have guys. And Philly had an opening, but they filled it with a guy who'd filled in on a few games and was doing some um, stuff for the Rockets, actually. Um, And I don't know how, Jim Cozumore was his name. he might be around somewhere doing something. I
0: believe the last time I remember hearing him, mm-hmm. he filled in for Gary Gerald in a preseason exhibition game in Las Vegas, of all places,
1: on a go. Sunday
0: night. But
1: he got I, the I, don't gig, know if he's I think, still, at the
0: time. I don't know if he's still doing play-by-play, but that's the last mm-hmm. time I remember hearing him do an NBA game filling in for mm-hmm. the legendary Gary Gerald of the Sacramento Games.
1: Wow. Uh, Well, so, you know, he was a- – around. Um, and he, I think he got that gig then. And so I was like, I guess I'm not going to get an NBA gig. You know, what am I going to do? Uh, so I look college and look again, back then I was just making legal pads, writing down every school I could think of that I would possibly have a shot to work at. Do they have an opening or not? You didn't have a database. I made my own database. I would call the school. I'd call this flagship station. I'd try to find out if there's an opening what, and one day I was just I had had it. I'm not going to call anybody anymore. I, like, I got to go. I got to get out of the apartment. I got to go. And I was like, I'll make one more call. So I called UMass. I called the flagship station, WHMP in Northampton. And I talked to the general manager and I had a conversation and he's like, you sell advertising. And he's like, well, we need somebody to help sell our advertising because we got a huge you know, network problem here and we need somebody to develop the network. So would you be willing to do that if it's not a play by play job? I'm like, no I <laughs> know I want to do the play-by-play and do that stuff he's like well we have a play-by-play guy I'm like all right but you know what maybe I could send you some information about me a little bit more He's like okay fine so that was a, a little you know a little tiny morsel of interest uh, but not in my play-by-play really so what and he hadn't heard me yet so I just I sent this presentation to him of a map of Massachusetts where their radio stations were best I could find out uh, what I would target if I was developing a network, uh, advertisers I might go after, and I and I sent them I sent them my play by play tape and it was tape back then, and I said I um, I'm coming to Massachusetts in May. Uh, would you like to meet with me? And I wasn't coming to Massachusetts, but I was like I was going to Massachusetts to meet with him. So he said okay. So I put together a more elaborate presentation and I went to Massachusetts and I met with him in. And what is almost uh, yeah. old,
0: which is almost old, old, old home old homecoming week for you because you were born yeah. in Massachusetts and you did all that and you well started. it was
1: I was actually um i yeah I went to school in Massachusetts so mm-hmm. yeah and I went to high school not too far away from there uh boarding school and it was tremendous to go it was emotional driving through uh, the the streets of Northampton that's where the station was which was mm-hmm. a few miles away from amherst and right. you know, and it was springtime it was gorgeous and I was like if I could get this job, like oh, <laughs> the emotions were flying. I met with the GM and I made my presentation uh, and you know, he had a look on his face. Like he just smelled bad cheese. And I'm thinking, what's that look? And, uh, and we said goodbye. And he said, there's another guy, my, his, his regional boss who's in Springfield, like 20 minutes down the road would have a big say in it. He said, I don't know. We got to play by play guy. This is like, you know, whatever. And we didn't leave it that great. I just felt like, all right, I I put a lot into this. I don't think I got this, but it's whatever. I mm. But I'm going to go meet with this other guy. I didn't have an appointment. The guy wouldn't see me. So the next morning, I drove down to Springfield on my mm. way home. And I just went to the front desk. And I said, I'm here to see Mike Farrell. Do you have an appointment? No, but I just want to shake his hand. I just want to shake his hand. So I'll You, wait
0: you, you just wanted there. an audience with him.
1: I just want to say hello. I don't even need to come back there. I just want to say hello to him. So he knew about me from this other from the guy I interviewed with. Mm-hmm. And uh and I waited. It was like Bud Fox waiting for Gordon Gecko in the in the waiting room in Wall Street. And uh finally Natalie says he's coming out and he comes out and I shake his hand and he's like, "Wow." He's like, "You guys you, I mean, yeah, you you guys met yesterday and I know you made this presentation." He said uh, so you, you're really inter- interested in this? I'm like, absolutely. He's like, but play-by-play, play, huh? I said, yes. It's like, huh, interesting. Okay, well, you know, we'll see. And so I, I went back. I went back to, um, to to Michigan, and I was doing the NCAA baseball tournament. I was actually doing a game at Alex Box Stadium. Chippewa's facing off against – it was Alex- one of the Directionals – in Louisiana. Alex in, Bach was,
0: Stadium, probably yep. number one,
1: not number yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. It was the old one. It was the old one. We got drilled by LSU because we were the Chippewas. You know, we got drilled by As LSU on the, the opening night. It was actually back then, 16 regional, right? So, because. Yeah, six now, now it, I
0: think it was six. Now it's down to like four because now they put it in like. And you have the pods. Supers.
1: You got yeah. regional Supers. Right. And if
0: you get to Omaha, then you're going to be in one or two right. brackets, either bracket A or bracket
1: B. We had no shot at Omaha. Uh, and this is after the Warren Morris stuff. Uh, that wasn't that year. It was, this was after that year. Anyway, uh, so I'm doing this game, Central Michigan against, I think it was Southwestern Louisiana. I can't remember. Probably in an, game. Probably
0: in an elimination game.
1: Yeah, it was an elimination game. And um, we lost. And so you were I went up. out to check my messages. You know, this is, I, cell phones were around, but very, you know, kind of rare so I went to the pay phone right outside Death Valley, LSU's mm-hmm. football stadium. And I'm like, doo, doo, checking my messages and putting mm-hmm. in my calling card number, which, which is what you did. Yeah. And uh, it was Rick Heidemann, the general manager of the station in in Northampton, Mass. And he said, mm-hmm. we'd like, you we'd like to offer you a job. And I went into that stadium, which was empty, which is a really impressive place, even empty. Uh, and I just like, it was like Rudy getting the letter uh, that he's finally gotten into Notre Dame. It was so emotional that I was going to go back to Massachusetts and have this job. UMass was on top of the world. They just got off an Elite Eighth season. When I left Boston in 1990, they were nothing. Calipari was starting out. They were nothing. They had rotary phones in the offices. Uh, now, here they were a national championship contender. I was going back to be their voice. Uh, was that they had the, the fire, team? the play-by-play guy to make room for me. Was that the team that had Derek Kellogg, Marcus Camby? Yeah. That month, right? That was the elite eight. Kellogg was gone; uh, he left uh, the year I got there. So it was, okay, so was- that uh, Carmelo Travieso, uh, Camby, Dante Bright, um, those guys, and Calipari's last year there. We went to the. Yeah, I remember
0: four. Camby, but I don't remember the other guys. But yeah, they Camby was right. like
1: the he was like the real deal Holyfield for
0: the Minutemen. Yeah. Before he got drafted by the Knicks and then going, you know,
1: he was having the crew he was with other amazing. teams. I uh I sold advertising for them. I sat down with a phone book <laughs> and just went nuts <laughs> and looked up everything mass like the Massachusetts Oil Heat Council was one of my first, I think it was the first contract I brought in. Anything that said Massachusetts on it, I was like, we got to brand ourselves at the State University, Massachusetts. Let's see what we can do here. Uh, I I did incredible things like, I mean, I was just working my brains out just Mm. 70, 80 hours a week on the air doing morning uh, drive, sports reports, uh, doing a talk show on Saturdays, selling advertising and doing football and basketball. I got football on the air in Boston, which was an achievement because we were 90 miles outside of Boston. I found a station, the basketball, uh, network. I got it up to 25 stations. You know, that final four year we were cranking. It was, we started 26 and 0. it was the hottest thing in the world. The Bruins and Celtics were horrible. So UMass was on the cover of the Boston globe every single, uh, every single day, you know, cover the Boston globe sports section. And it was just a, a, an enchanted time. It really was. It was a great place to live. Great job, uh, working my butt off. And then Calipari leaves. Um, which was shocking yet not, I mean, I guess it was like a long time coming that he was going to go as soon as he got the opportunity to go to the NBA. And, and he did. And it's funny because that Jordan series is big right now. They, they go over that series where the Nets took him to overtime in that first game mm-hmm. of the playoff series. And then they get swept anyway, but Calipari was the coach. And um, anyway, obviously it didn't last long there for him in New Jersey. Nope. And for UMass, they started to go down. We made the tournament the last, Uh, the next couple of years, but exited first round each time. And then finally didn't make the tournament. And, uh, and that's when, you know, that, that final year, UMass, I was general manager of the radio station. My GM left and I was the best salesperson in the building. And that's often who gets promoted. And I, I wanted the gig, but I didn't want it. I don't know. It was, I was 34 years old. It was time to like start thinking about really expanding my career. UMass was on the way down a little bit. Like what kind of broadcaster am I? Am I like, is this my level, which is fine. Again, I would have been really happy there, but do I want a bigger level? I really did. I wanted a a higher level. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I also wanted money and the GM job gave me money. And I, it was easy to negotiate Luther. It's easy to negotiate when they want to give you something and you don't really want it. And they just offer you more, you know, and that's exactly what happened. And, and I did, I worked, I worked so hard in that job. It was bad for my health. I was sick. I was trying to do the games, GM. My bosses were saying to me, uh, they were saying, listen, like, why are you going to Philadelphia to broadcast a game this, this week? We got a budget, we got budgets to do. And I'm thinking, I'm not missing a game. I've never missed a game in my life. I'm not missing a game now. I've never missed a game in my life. I'm not gonna miss a game. They're like, what? And they were right. Like, they're like, eventually it came down to you gotta make a choice. Are you doing games? Are you doing this? Because this is really important, and it is being the general manager. It was two stations. Yep. It was it was we were making a lot of money. You had to you know do a lot of different work. Yeah, uh, you know, so it was market seventy, so it wasn't a huge market. So you know, you had to plug yourself into everything as a GM. Um, and I finally said I decided it was very tough. I didn't want to give up broadcasting. I knew I wasn't going to do that, but it was tough to give up the GM stuff because I was like. Uh, the money and all of it and and what do I do here like I'm at a crossroads in my life so Mm -hmm. I gave it up and I said the only way to win here is to get the next job so I found out the University of Miami um, had an opening and I just put everything into it whatever I put into UMass I quadrupled it I sent FedExes to Everybody at the university I could think of: athletic director, associate athletic director, PR director, marketing director. Everybody at the university, uh, radio flagship radio station, GM, program director, you and sales manager. Saying, South Florida,
0: mm-hmm. Miami, Florida. Whether you want me or not, I'm coming. here's, <laughs> here's what you're going to get
1: it's important to hit multiple multiple levels of an organization when you're looking for a job, because what, especially then with a, with an actual, like, you know, you're delivering the bricks and mortar of a FedEx envelope with your materials in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. what happens is, uh, well, not everybody's relevant in the decision-making process, but they might bring that over to the office of somebody who is, and all of a sudden they had a little conversation about you, or at least it's like a handoff. And like that person is getting multiple FedEx envelopes that you sent and they're like, geez, this person's really aggressive, assertive, whatever." You know. So I did my my usual. I, I told the program director, "I'm coming down. I'm coming down to South Florida uh, for the weekend anyway," which I wasn't. Uh, will you Will you be willing to meet with me? He's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll sit down with you." The program director didn't care, and uh, and so we sat down, and he he liked my tape. He did. Now this, I had no shot to get this job, but he liked my tape. And he said, you know, look, the university is involved. My general manager is involved. It's like, it's not my decision. You know, it's really not. I mean, I have input, but it's not my decision. So I went to the university. Paul D was the athletic director. I went to the receptionist. I, uh, I told her, I said, I'm here to be the voice of the hurricanes. I'd like to be Paul D. And I, did, I just want to shake his hand. You know, so I know I'm rambling here, but long story short, I just put everything into it. And then they, um, they told me, um, we want more tape. So I got the more tape, and eventually, miraculously, I got that job as well. So, I mean, everything's been like a miracle. But like you, like I said earlier, you kind of make your own luck. You can get lucky, but you kind of help your luck along. You make it, and uh, and that worked out.
0: Now, when you got the Miami-Florida gig, which means you had less prep, but you still had to do prep, but you were, you know, given access to, you know, better rosters, stats, mm-hmm. And things like that but what are the things were you working on that you were at the college level compared to the you know games you were doing at the high school level now yeah. that you now that you've reached a big time of d1 college
1: athletics well honestly like from the time i was at penn state with women's basketball those press releases uh, central Michigan, central Michigan's were a little light. Uh, but, but you get materials that really help you prepare. There's, I mean, the difference between that and high school is, is monumental. Once you jump into the college ranks, you're getting a lot more information just at your fingertips. And, uh, even to this day, it's like, people are like, wow, how'd you do that? I'm like, I read the release, you know, <laughs> I read the press release. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me out. Like these PR people are doing a lot of work to get you ready for the game. Like, just do, just read their work and, and you'll sound smart. Uh, so, you know, a- along with other things you got to do, but I mean, they can really help get you ready. So at Miami, you get a lot of information. UMass got a ton of information, uh, even doing one double A football at UMass. So Miami, you know, the thing about Miami was it the, the football was so big. Like the first game I did there was, well, I'll, I'll rewind here. The first basketball game I did at UMass was the grade eight uh, mm-hmm. at Auburn Hills. It was UMass versus Ooh. number one, Kentucky. And we beat them. And it was unbelievable. And I just come from central Michigan where we were three and 23 the year before. Right. The first football game I did at Miami it was 1999, the kickoff classic at the Meadowlands. So I'm in a pro stadium and it's it's Miami versus Ohio State. Mm. And we beat them. And it was that was incredible. I mean, it was incredible to do a game like that, a football game like that. That was so big. And, uh, and then the first time I went into the orange bowl, I got chills because the orange bowl to me has housed, has been home to more great football games at any level than any stadium in the country. Like Mm -hmm. you just add it up.
0: The dearly departed orange bowl at that.
1: Yeah. The dearly departed orange bowl. And it really, by the time I was there, it was already way past its prime and, and needed to be ripped out, but it was just right. still too good. I mean, for, for big games, there was no place like it. There was nothing like the electricity of the Orange Bowl. There's something about it. I mean, like, you Especially on person, a Saturday like, night. Yes, like at night. Like The first time I went in there was for a scrimmage, and I see the palm trees, and I'm just like having NFL films flashbacks of like Joe Namath and Earl Laurel, and like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. So... Uh, yeah. It's an amazing hail Flutie. I mean, you think about all the great games there Um, and we had some too, you know, so we had wide right three, which is one of the best football games I've ever called was wide right three. I still to this day, you know, in 2000, when that Canes beat Florida state on the missed mm. field goal was, was uh, I'll never forget that, you know, that's one of those you'll take with you forever.
0: Now, Zagaki probably, I don't know if he was there or if he came after. Yeah, he's my,
1: he's my color commentator. Zagaki no probably would have gotten the job had it not been for me. So maybe it was a love-hate thing at first. No, we're friends. He stood up with, with me at my wedding. Um, he's, a, he's a great guy. And we, we've had a lot of times together. You know, he did. he was my color commentator for football and basketball. And we had Don Bailey on the sideline, who's mm-hmm. now the color commentator. Uh, and Don is one of the dearest friends of my whole life, and uh, and those guys are great. Those guys are a great team, and, uh, and it was just fun being a trio because we had a good sound. We we sounded pretty good together, and they they were really good to me my first year. Like as I was learning, I was learning more about football. I really didn't know. I mean, I'd done football for years. I did Central Michigan and I did UMass. And we were pretty good Won a national championship in AA the last year there. Mm -hmm. But I still wasn't a football expert. I really wasn't. I was a basketball expert for sure. But football expert, you know, I was good enough to do games. But, you know, I learned a lot at Miami. A lot.
0: So what did you feel like you learned that propelled you to read that Houston was getting a football team again.
1: Well, they got awarded the franchise in August of 99. So mm-hmm. really in September of 99. So I, that's my first season at Miami. So I don't even think twice about, it. I'm like, I'm not. My, honestly, Miami, I thought was my lifetime gig. Cause Sonny sure. Hirsch had been there forever. And I was like, I could be here forever. I'd be really happy. Um, And, and I really, I believed that. But one thing happened with this uh, Texans thing that never quite happened the same way before I've been contacted by schools. Like when I was at, when I was at UMass, Wake Forest called and Vanderbilt called, but I was like, "Eh, I don't know about that. You know, it was like, I know what uprooting means and those are great gigs. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, And I knew that I was like changing into a football guy when the Celtics job opened up while I was at Miami. And I was like, the Celtics are open and I'm not, I don't feel a burning desire to go after it. Like I didn't go after, I didn't send anything. I didn't go after it. It's right. like, why, are, why aren't I going after the Celtics the way I went after Miami? I think it's because I loved warm weather, South Florida. I, lo- I love South Florida. I love the whole thing, the history of it, everything, the international flavor, all of it. Love it, love it, love it. I know there's a lot mm-hmm. to not like, but I love it. And, and I was like, I love football. I love this having three sports, football, basketball, baseball. I love Miami. So I had to go after the Celtics. So I knew I was different, but then the Texans contacted me mm-hmm. and it was, a, it was a, a, a administrative assistant from the communications department, worked for Tony Wiley, who uh, was now with special Olympics nationally. He was with the Redskins after the Texans. Anyway, uh, she said, basically said something like, you know, we exist. Uh, we're looking for a play by play announcer. And do you want to be a candidate for the job? And I was like, Oh man, NFL, brand new team. Interesting. I I wasn't totally sold, but I was very intrigued and it was, it was different because I got the call. Like I never would have chased it, never would sure. have chased it out of the blue unless sure. I was like needing a job. But since they called, I had to think about it. I'm like, do sure. I want to do I, now? Now I know like, look, I'm not the only guy they called and they're going to have 300 applicants for this job and they're all going to be good. You know, they're going to have a lot of good people looking for this job. So, yep. Um, and, and r- the day she called, I go to a golf tournament for the hurricanes. Larry Coker is there. Larry Coker's like, I got a call from the Texans today about you. I'm like, damn, they're after me. Now they weren't after me, after me, they were just, you know, vetting and stuff. Uh, but a guy named Chip Namius, who's a, a PR uh, guy he used to work in Houston, knows Hank Goldberg in Miami, knows everybody everywhere. South Florida, California. I guess he was asking around. And he asked Hank Goldberg if he knew any good play-by-play guys, and Hank recommended me. Uh, and so that's how they found out who I was. And since I was a fresh voice to the NFL and definitely fresh to Houston, I think that was a bit of the appeal. Uh, plus, like, I'm perfect for the – not perfect, but I'm perfect for the role of voice for a team in the sense that – I don't mean to say – use the word perfect other than the fact that I love being the voice of the team, of a team. Mm -hmm. I love it. Uh, There are many different ways to make a living in this business. I always (coughs) wanted to live and die with the results that that happened on game day, uh, Mm -hmm. no matter what. And um, and I love it. I mean, I used to watch Mike Lang uh, on TV and listen to him on the radio. And When I was in State College, one time I was doing a hockey game, a high school hockey game at the Igloo in Pittsburgh. And I saw, and Lang came in after the game was over and was getting ready for the Pegman's game that night. I saw him laying out all this stuff, and I'm like, I want to be that. I want to be the voice of a team. I want to be like Mike Lang. I want to be like that. And uh, I just knew it that I want to be the voice of a team forever. So this mm-hmm. Texans thing was intriguing. Only voice that the team ever had until I'm gone, you know? Sure. That is, that's strongly appealing to me. That was strongly appealing. So I, um, I did my thing. I, I flew out. Like they weren't interviewing anybody yet. So I said, Hey, I'm, I was actually going to see my wife's family in Tulsa and I was connecting through Houston and I was like, Hey, I'm coming through. Uh, now was it,
0: now was this the same lady that you were dating when you were at central Michigan or? No,
1: no, there have been a, that's a whole other podcast. Luther. <laughs> that's a whole other We don't have time it's, for that today. Yeah,
0: that's, exactly. No, but
1: I, I met my wife in Miami. Um, she was working for the university actually, but anyway, she, she was from Tulsa and, uh, and I, I, I just made it a longer day and I sat down at the station and I talked to them and then I had another time where I was coming through to do, uh, Miami at Texas A&M basketball game. So I came in a day early and I met with, with people at the stage, at the station and with the team all together at six people and me, it was a six on one interview. Um, much. so, and so I made both of those appointments. And then um, after the 2001 season, we won the championship, uh, I was a fill-in or just-in-case play-by-play guy on Westwood One's coverage of the Ravens and the Dolphins playoff game following the one season, and Howard David couldn't make his red eye or they had mechanical problems or whatever to come to the game, and they called me, and I ended up doing that game on the fly. And I realize I'm, from a sheer broadcasting standpoint, the NFL is, quote, easier than college football. You don't have have, have as many guys. The game is just cleaner than a college game. Right. College gets all, like, the hash marks wider, more guys playing. It's just messier. The clock is a mess in college football. They need to mm-hmm. tighten up that clock and shorten those games. NFL is, like, tight game. Uh, and that particular afternoon, I – because I just prepared, like, at 5 in the morning that day – uh, that particular afternoon, the Ravens-Dolphins game, that was a low-scoring, not a very exciting game from an objective standpoint. But the game came to me. There was nothing weird and wild and wacky that happened. There was no, like, Rams-Saints, like, blown call or no call. or. Whatever. There was yeah. nothing like that. It was pretty yeah. straightforward, handoff, touchdown. You know, it was, it was not a, a killer game. And I did it with Bob Trumpy. Uh, who I loved, who I like, grew up watching Bob Trumpy. You know, I, I, and, every
0: broadcaster that I've talked to that has worked in NFL game has at least worked one game with Trumpy. and
1: that brings he's the smoking question: smoking a cigarette, <laughs> uh, he's hold his hand out the booth. Like I listen to the tape later, and you can hear him lighting up cigarettes. Like you hear the click click of a light meter <laughs> and everything. So, in uh, what, what was the question? It brings the question: what? What was it like working with Trumpy? Oh, I, I I loved it. I I'll tell you what the first you know I met him and everything we talked and then and then <coughs> uh, and then we get ready to go and I put the headset on and I say uh, welcome everybody and uh, you know whatever Dolphins versus the Ravens as he says his first comments I'm, just hearing Trumpy's voice in my headset as I'm talking was like this miracle <laughs> because it's Bob Trumpy and I interviewed big time guys and you know maybe yeah. like interviewed like may, you know bigger than him maybe but mm-hmm. but there was just something about working with somebody like that that you know you're watching darn Cricky and Bob Truppy mm-hmm. here in the Rose Bowl you know like yep. they were the number two NBC team behind uh Enberg and Olsen for a long time mm-hmm. and um and he was I just loved him I loved his voice so that was that was cool that was cool that afternoon but they heard it in Houston of course it was on national radio yep. and I think that that also was like dang, he just did a national championship. He's doing this game for Westwood. Why this might be the right guy. And um, I think they felt like I had the mental makeup to be who they wanted. You know, they wanted a guy who was going to be able to represent them. And, um, and, and I got the offer and it wasn't like really more money than Miami. It was a teeny tiny bit, but I knew the payoff would be down the road. And, uh, and I just felt like I had to do it, you know, um, actually Perry Clark, no Leonard Hamilton, both Perry Clark and Leonard Hamilton. I talked to both of them, but Leonard Hamilton was, was the Canes coach. Who's mm-hmm. um, now been at Florida and, state. It seems like forever and ever, forever. but he was at the Wizards. Like after I was on the coaches, uh, I, I'd make coaches rich because Calipari left after a year at UMass and became rich in the NBA. <laughs> and then Leonard Hamilton left after a year when I was at Miami and went to the wizards and got a boatload of money. But then Jordan came in and Hamilton was out and, Hamilton told me, so he was just hanging around this before he got the Florida State job. When I asked him, he said, listen, you got to go. It's the NFL. It's pro sports. You need to go to the pros. This is going to be great for you. This is going to be the, the opportunity of a lifetime. And he was absolutely right. You know, And, and I, I came here and uh, I, it's been wonderful for me you know, I, the time has flown by. I mean, we started playing in 2002 mm-hmm. and it feels like four years ago. It really does. Like, I can't get over how much time. And you know, now like my management experience came into play because we took the rights, the radio rights in house in 2012, Luther. And they wanted me like join them in house. Cause I was working for the radio station yet doing the games for the first right. 10 years and doing yep. a, a morning drive talk show. With it's your broadcast th-
0: partner to this very day, Andre Ware.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Among a couple of other people. And that like, so I came in house with the Texans. Now we do radio at night. We do some other things. And then over time I've taken over all the television. So I'm vice president of broadcasting. I have TV, radio and social digital media underneath me. So oh, I have 14 smokes. people work for me. I'm a manager, you know, I'm a manager now, but I also do the games and do, obviously do a lot of out air stuff and content. Uh, and it's just, it's just a total joy. And it, it just feels like, no time has gone by. Um, do you
0: si- do you simulcast the radio broadcast on TV, or do you, or how now, does that process like work? Now, pre-season, preseason, would be the and only
1: else. Yeah, preseason would be the only time we could do that. And I decided not to do a simulcast. I hired Kevin Kugler to do the play by play for preseason, and he's great um and we kind of we have some like drop-ins with radio we interact and everything just to kind of promote what we're doing on radio for the regular season NFL games get a huge audience on radio I mean we get like for a typical noon game we'll get 250,000 listeners uh to what we're doing um and it's just I mean it's the biggest thing going it's the biggest radio play by play sport you know back in the day baseball was it basketball was really good you know that's why like all these things that I didn't pursue like basketball like NBA play-by-play I love the NBA but radio play-by-play in the NBA isn't what it used to be it's not like when Johnny Most did it or Glenn Ordway even when I was living in Boston mm-hmm. or, or Mike Breen doing it for the Knicks back in in the day at WFA it's not the same um, so uh, you know I'm glad I didn't do that I, if I had stayed at the University of Miami nothing wrong with it but they haven't even come close to the level that they were at when I was there. Nope. You know, I mean, they had one more great year, and then they started to like kind of hit the hit the road downward. Um, and it's hard. You know, there are a million reasons that go into that. Uh, so uh, being in the NFL, it's the biggest sport in the world, in our world anyway. I mean, it's not. You know, you can do like Real Madrid. I'm not going to do that. So uh, I just, I obviously no regrets. I'm just so ecstatic that I took this opportunity. <clears throat> Way and I've been able to build on it and, uh, you know, there's nothing like the NFL, man. There's nothing like it.
0: All the coaches you've dealt with, all the players you've dealt with, what do you feel like the coaches and players that you've built trust with, a business relationship with, what do you feel like they brought to you as an on-air broadcaster?
1: Uh, Calipari is... Probably had probably the most effect on me because when you're around him, you just have this desire to be better. He has that effect on people, Mm -hmm. on whoever he comes in contact with. There's just something about certain people and he's one of them where... Look, I didn't report to him, you know? I mean, we just Mm -hmm. had brief conversations, always really nice. And like many times... (laughs) When I was, you know, here earlier, when he was at Memphis, he'd come in a lot to play Rice and University of Houston. I'd visit him in the locker room before the game and say hello to him then and whatever, you know. And um, he was here for uh, Elite Eight once. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he got to the Final Four, which I think was in San Antonio. And yes, it was. and went outside the locker room and he um, – and he's also been to a Final Four here. But uh, outside the locker room, he came out and we gave each other a hug. And all the media sees me hugging Calipari. They're like, what the hell's going on? Um, <laughs> they didn't know the history. But, you know, it's not like we're buddies or anything. But, like, it, it, and so th- that has nothing to do with it. But just being in his presence back then with what – I understood what UMass was. Like, yep. he could do whatever he does at Kentucky. I don't care. I don't want to say I don't care. But that's not impressive to me compared to what he did at UMass. Kentucky's built it's built that way you know Mm -hmm. even Memphis to a large degree is built that way to do what he did at UBASS is ridiculous Mm -hmm. and they were they were just Yankee conference basketball you know I mean that's what it was uh and and he and entering the Atlantic 10 great you know but really a nobody program right and uh you know Jack Lehman did some good stuff with them in the 70s in the Yankee Conference had Dr. J Rick Patino, hit Al Skinner had some good players but you know they were never at that level so that kind of thing really rubbed off I mean rubbed off really inspired me I should say uh I, I had a great relationship with Butch Davis at the University of Miami. Uh Butch Butch was so he's the coach more than anybody who told me like how he wanted the interviews to go. Not like he was trying to withhold information. But he's like, let's really get into the game for the pregame interview and not worry about last week or anything else bigger issues. Just focus on the matchup. So then during the week we can do the talk show and like <laughs> he had a lot of you <laughs> know a lot of things to say about that. Which I, I appreciated. All right, great. Let's do it that way. Um uh, exactly. You know, like Dom Capers. <laughs> the nicest guy in the world. Gary Kubiak, another nicest guy in the world. Uh, great coach. Uh, very helpful. Capers, super helpful. Um, can't say enough about it. Bill O'Brien uh, is a total winner. A total winner. And I, he gets a lot of heat in this town, man. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder
0: why that is. Because it's like, I
1: mean, Bill O'Brien,
0: a... you know, he, you know, you win the division. You, what, mm-hmm. you won the division, what, three, four
1: times now? Or and he hasn't won. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Luther. He's an NFL coach. He's been somewhere six years and he hasn't won the Super Bowl. And that's it. That's it. That's it. Kubiak had the same heat because he had been here. He he went eight years here, uh, and and when you don't win the big one, it doesn't like after a while they get tone deaf to like oh you're getting into the postseason like we don't care you know uh, not that they don't care but it it just it loses its appeal to people it's like which it you really shouldn't it's like the Detroit
0: Lions when you know they've gone to the playoffs after 92 they've not done anything so it's like well, until, until you until you win one who cares
1: if until you win one and I, i'm glad you brought up the lions like matthew stafford right he's he's a highly regarded quarterback exactly. they have four winning seasons with him they have four mm-hmm. winning seasons with him he came into the league in 09 they've got four winning seasons. We've had five winning seasons in six years under O'Brien with a, an array of quarterbacks, but the last three with Watson, great. Or, you know, two and a half with Watson. And uh, O'Brien's, a, O'Brien's an excellent coach. He just hasn't won the big one. It's and, big one. you know, when you blow a game like the Kansas City one, that one hurts. That's a big thorn in your side. Especially yeah, when you have it. a big lead. Like, like criticism is warranted. Yeah, criticism is warranted for that. There's no question. But exactly. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, because like I was in Miami in the early O's when they had Wadstead and they were going to the postseason a lot and everyone like, wanted him out of there. Finally he's out of there, and then they haven't done anything since then. So uh, you just never know. And and you, you need him to get another couple of shots here in the postseason to see if he can get over the hump. It's it's not like if he was going six and ten, seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and said, All right, whatever, you know, you're kind of mediocre. People yeah. call them mediocre. They're not mediocre. He's a winner. Like he's been, all right. So now he's coached either Penn state or here for eight years. He's had yeah. one losing season in eight years. He's had four division titles, a uh, couple of playoff wins. He, people are like, well, the AFC South is easy. The AFC South of the O'Brien era has the second most playoff wins in the league mm-hmm. as a division. And in the O'Brien era, next six years, three AFC championship game participants all not named the Texans, unfortunately. But it shows you how tough the division is. Colts, in the last three years, Titans, two teams in. Yeah,
0: what is it? Colts, Titans, Jags. Jags, yeah. But it's like, this league, everybody's like, oh, the a house is the weakest league. No, it's not. But it also depends on, you know. It's not even cool. it, 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 it all It depends also, this is just from where I sit, with this division, do the play will the players mesh on the teams that they're on? And if they do, everybody's going to be beaten up on everybody, yeah, because it's yep. it you know, there's no apples to apples comparison. Because if, if everybody's on the same playing field in the division,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're going to at least get nine and seven, ten and six. If you get to 11 or 12,
1: that means somebody might stink.
0: You have yeah. you have either you are above everybody else or a team just goes one and five or two and four in the division. That's the only way that happens. But most of the time you're going to get everybody at at least three and three, four and two.
1: And you know, like the AFC East, right? They have the most playoff wins since 2014, Mm -hmm. but they all belong to the Patriots. Nobody else in that division has won a playoff game. And in fact, as you know, during the Brady Belichick era, the entire rest of the division is below 500. Each of those teams is below 500 during that era. That division stinks. So not that the Patriots stink. I mean, give them their due. They're amazing. But it's just – it's a weird deal, Um, and it's unfortunate that people get evaluated that way. Yeah. We'll we'll see where it goes from here. I think that that the the Texans this year are – they're, they're loading up for another run. Let's see how it goes. I mean, I'd love to get back to that moment and just do better next time. Obviously, no two years are alike, as we all know. Can um, you but, please and, get Deshaun Watson some offensive line help? So well, no. He he's getting murdered. He's got – they did last year. They drafted T- Titus Howard. They drafted Max Sharp. I mean, Those guys played well as rookies. They're going to be in next year. Yeah. Laramie Tonsil, they just signed him. I think Nick Martin's pretty good. I think they're good to go on the line. I really do. I think maybe uh, maybe one more guard. We'll see how that goes. But I, I really believe this this line, after playing together for a year, is is going to be good. I think they got a lot going for themselves. Now they got to get the defense together. Um, you know, t- to improve it from last year, and sure. we'll see how they do that. And you know, some maybe some questions on the back end, some things that like need to go right. But uh, but I'm excited. It's going to be fun.
0: And I believe you, the Titans, and the Titans, I think both have Monday night games to open the year. No,
1: uh, have no hour, we hour. have uh, Thursday night. Oh, okay. The, the season opener, which I hope we play. Uh, the season opener. So I'm I think, if I'm not mistaken,
0: the Titans will get, like, the back end of the doubleheader because usually if Denver's playing Monday night football. They're playing at 920 at night.
1: Yep, they are. Thank which goodness for that. They're, they're not gonna get almost
0: one a.m. in the morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did that once in thirteen at the at the Chargers. So, well, what is, that what, the, is that,
0: uh, what's that? what is that experience like dealing with a with the now that they've added the double header of Monday Night Football? Either you're gonna get the front end of it or the back end of it, and you already know in advance how you're gonna deal with it. But what is? We that? were the
1: first. We were the first non-West Coast team to get the back end double header as a road team, Ooh. or as any team. Uh, and it was two thousand thirteen. It was late, obviously, so it was like an eight twenty central start, which is pretty late for an n f l game but whatever you play it and nah, you know, I think, think it was like nine twenty or something I don't know really, yeah, maybe you're right, I don't know, but um it all worked out for us at the time i you know i I complained about it like on the air because like you know nitpicky sports talk guy in the off season uh but but it all worked out um for them that's a that's a long trip. You know, Denver's tough anyway. You know, there's there's it's a factor going out there. Um and I think they'll be better this year. So I think the Titans have a tough schedule. Five of their last seven on the road. Oh yeah. Baltimore where they close at our place, they got Baltimore, I think they got Green Bay on the road. Yeah, in that that's in December
0: Green Bay's in December. And they yeah, got an they get, game. They, yeah, they get it they get, if we're not mistaken, I think a Colts Thursday nighter and then they
1: open the season yeah. in Denver. Yeah, I think it's a tough schedule. It's going to be yeah, tough, it for is. Them. and uh, and they need everything to go well with Henry, obviously. Because I think if Henry isn't, go- it, no, and it should, but if it doesn't, I mean, I think he's almost—I want to say more important than the quarterback, but he's he's important. <laughs> I mean, he's obviously important to what they do because he attracts a lot of attention. hill played well; give him credit. But you know, they're, they're in a run it back mode kind of with those guys, and uh, and why not? I mean, after what they did, so we'll see. I mean, I've, I have the utmost respect for them. Colts, obviously. This is tough, man. The the thing the AFC South doesn't have is brand name recognition. Like, if the AFC East had been doing what the NFC South is doing, I know they have won Super Bowl over this past, you know, half dozen years, which is sure. great for them. Yep. But other than that, I mean, come on. Dallas really hasn't done much. Uh, Washington's done nothing. And the uh, NFC the East. Have done nothing.
0: Nobody in the NFC East has basically said, you know, we are going to assume the throne. We are going to be the kings of the mountain. And y'all are just going to have to deal with it. They've right. they rotated who's won the division. Either Dallas has won it once, the Giants have won it once, mm-hmm. the Eagles have won it once, and the Redskins have won it at least once, but they haven't you know, gotten back there in the last little bit. But at right. least for the moment, it's a three-team horse race in the NFC East. No
1: doubt. No doubt. And...
0: You don't know what you're gonna get in the NFC North and you don't know what you're gonna get with either the AFC or the NFC West. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're gonna get there either. Mm-hmm. Is Kansas City and their division gonna take a step back? Is anybody gonna challenge them?
1: Uh I think they obviously they're loaded, but everybody everybody looks good on paper in the off season, especially mm-hmm. the defending champs usually. And often it doesn't work out well for them. I mean, I'm hoping that's the case for them just as a Texans guy. Sure. But you want to talk about a tough team, man. And, look, that Super Bowl wasn't going well for them. And they, you know, look, look at all three postseason games weren't going that great for them necessarily, but they found a way to make the big plays, yep. especially against the Texans. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and they ran away and, and won the game So, and won the championship. Uh, they're going to be tough to stop. I, I just – it's going to be very interesting. i dying to see what happens with the, with the Ravens this year and how that Definitely. stacks up in, in the encore performance of Lamar Jackson's MVP year and uh, all of that. It's just – it's so exciting. Like I said, there's nothing like it. I think we just have so many – so many unknown variables with what's going on around us. And, um, you know, like we're doing a press conference here in like five minutes with uh, Anthony Weaver, and, and we're eager to find out what he's going to say about like how it's going with prep and all that. So there's just so many things we got to get, get together. Well, to they,
0: well if you, if you got a presser in five minutes, we got to cut, we got to close this thing, but I was going to ask, like, what's your game prep like, even though you're not playing any games, how do you, you know, as a lead broadcaster for the Texans stay on top of, you know, things. So when you start broadcasting, if, and when that happens, how do you keep up with, everybody in the league because i know it's a non-stop you know news cycle right. and how do you how do you keep yourself from getting circuitry overload when you're dealing with the other 31 teams in the league and now that you're gonna have a 17th game
1: thrown in there this year well you just take it one week at a time like right now i'm just reading like you are and, and just getting getting information and following the league and you know what's going on but like you can't do week three's broadcast now. You know no. what I mean? The next broadcast I have is the Vikings, pre- and preseason's harder than the regular season, a lot harder, because you have so many more guys and storylines and things like that. So, uh, and, and, you know, equipment is different. Everything's different. It's all, like, back to it. Yeah. Um, so I just – it's one. It's like life. One day at a time, Luther. That's the only way to go.
0: Yes, sir. Well, I know you have a pressure to get to, and this is a blast. And hopefully when we get a chance to chat again – I definitely want to get into the story on how Andre Ware and you got connected as yes. the broadcast team. Cause I know He's we didn't wonderful. get into that. There's a lot of things that we, you know, we just scratched the surface on this and hope we'll get a chance to do it again. Just let me know what your schedule is and we'll do another interview. But this was a blast.
1: Thanks Luther. I appreciate the time. No, thank you. I mean, I,